If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everybody, this week's episode of the R&R Show is brought to you by Arcane Wonders. And hello, Rel. How are you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic, my friend. How's it going, Richard? It's going pretty well. Although, it just occurs to me, we just had an hour of pre-show, and at no point did I ever think to mention, I've been having really bad dizzy spells recently. <laughs> what? Yeah. Really? Completely out of the blue. Um, oh, like no. I, As if I just spun around a lot, and they just kind of come out of nowhere. So, I'm seeing a doctor today after we're done today at 4 o'clock. Um, oh, my God. I can see. I'm wow. sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. I, I, I There's no other outward manifestations of anything. It's just this weird little thing that's been happening for the last couple days, and I figure... Better safe than sorry. I'm fine sitting yeah. down, but um, sometimes if I walk, I might have a little difficulty walking in a straight line. Oh my gosh! Uh, I'm sorry to hear about that. Hopefully, everything you know, hopefully everything's just fine, and just one of those things with with age. Certain things pop up and do weird things to your body. So I, I suspect that's serious. what it is—a weird thing yeah. being done to my body by my very weird brain. Um, yeah. Don't worry, folks. I'm sure it's fine. But I'll give a update next week. Boy, okay. I, I started out with a with a grim pall over the uh, proceedings here, didn't I? That was really terrible. Maybe you could uh, change the mood. Well, I can change the mood by I can spin that to hey to find out how Richard's doing. Come on over to our BGG guild, and uh, you know <laughs> he'll update it there because we do a lot of fun things there now. I'm trying to pump it up a little bit. You know, I miss the BG. You know, I, I miss seeing a bunch of interaction there. So I've been doing a weekly puzzle. Yes. So on my Instagram, I put a puzzle where it's uh, ten different board games that so there's a component each with one board, and I will post on my Instagram, and then I'll post it on the uh, guild as well. And you know, it, it's really interesting to see how many people can get. Um, you did really well this. You got you got nine out of the ten. Yeah, that was a good one. Anyone feel good about myself? So, yeah, that that was great. Because um, I know if I was on the other end, not making these things, I wouldn't know where most of these things are. They're like little components or the board or a card or whatever. So come on down to our BGG Guild, folks. Um, I'm sure we'll uh, you can find a link down. Yep, in yeah, the we'll show put the link below. down in the show notes. It's right there at the bottom of the screen. It's really simple. Guild.rado.com. It's a discussion mm-hmm. forum where you can discuss all things Rotto and uh, Ruel and the show and the channel and, and just games and life in general, if you like. Uh, if you ever want to hear my epic, I think it's like a six or seven page long treatise of why Last Jedi is the greatest Star Wars movie of all time, may the fourth be with you, um, you can find that <laughs> there as well. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of May the 4th, uh, so this will be airing on May the 4th, and that's why I have R2. Uh, this is the first Lego set that I've uh, built as an adult. Uh, Michelle and I put this over. You can actually go see on my YouTube channel, folks. You can see us putting this together over several different episodes. We do like one or two bags at a time, and this thing's like over 20, 2,200 pieces. And it took us a while, but oh, totally worth it. So much fun. And um, yeah, so May the 4th be with you, uh, my fellow Indeed. Star Wars uh, friends. May the 4th be yes. with you. Always. Okay. Always. Cool. Anything hey, else you'd like to add? Speaking of games. About? Yeah, speaking of games, what the heck is that little box right here? It's a wee little here? tiny box. And it <laughs> is from sponsor of the show, um, uh, Arcane Wonders. And actually, this is a game that came out like over a half a decade ago. But a few years ago, Arcane Wonders picked it up for like a new reprint and broader redistribution. And uh, I figured, let's do an opening or an unboxing. People love unboxings, Whoa. don't they? Yes. So, yes. you go out and get the handy dandy Kniffy. And, um, yeah, take a look. Have you played Sherlock 13, Ruel? I, I did. Actually, Michelle and I, um, we uh, live-streamed it a couple of months ago, really? maybe late last year. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, now, now uh, I'm not the biggest fan of social deduction games, mm-hmm. but I this one is more my jam. It, it's just it's really straightforward. Um, it's got, it almost feels sort of like Clue, uh, in a way, uh, the, the classic uh, board game. I've heard but, this referred uh, to as this is basically Clue, or Cluedo, for folks in certain parts Cluedo, of the world, that's right. without the board. Effectively, yes, it just lets you focus just on the deduction without any of the rolling and moving that takes two hours. Exactly, yeah, and that's why I, it really it, it was a lot of fun. It just gave me that sense of hey, this reminds me of playing this game as a kid, but again, without the die roll and movement and stuff. Well, that's cool. Is it is is your playthrough of this on your um, Ruel archive on YouTube? 
It is, yeah. So, well, folks, come on over folks. to uh, yeah, yeah, all over to my YouTube channel, Ruel Gaviola, and you can find the uh, archive where I archive all of my Twitch live streams over there on the YouTube channel. You can find Sherlock Thirteen on there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I will put a link for that down in the show notes. You can hit that eye up in the top right corner of the screen to go watch Ruel and his wonderful better half, uh, Michelle, play this. So you know it. I know it, too. Basically, there's been a dastardly crime, and there are 13 suspects, hence the 13. Inspector Baines and Bradstreet and Lestrade. All these cops could have done it. Or Hopkins. Or Irene Adler. Or Moriarty. That makes more sense. But Watson uh, and Mrs. Huston. <laughs> or... Uh, is also a suspect, as is Mycroft and Sebastian um, Moran, uh, Mary Morston, and Sherlock Holmes could actually be the culprit of all things. And as I understand it, isn't the way this game works is we take all these and like Clue, we shuffle them up, and there's one person who committed the crime. We don't know who that is. Yep. Nobody knows who that is. But then the rest of the cards are divided up amongst the players, like four to each player in a three-player game, and yep. um, uh, f- uh, what is it? Uh, the opposite, three to each player in a four-player game. Although, uh, did you do it as a two-player run-through? We did. There's oh, a two-player variant check in the this box. Out. Yeah. Because the way it works is there's the criminal in the two-player game and then two accomplices on either side. And then the rest yep. of the cards go to every player. And then what happens is... The game is afoot, and on your (laughs) turn, you can basically, we're all investigators trying to figure out who did it, and I know it wasn't any of these characters, um, but through a process of elimination, trying to figure out, hey, where are all the skulls? I've got three skulls in my hand. If I look at the score sheet, everybody gets this. This is basically a deductin right, because everybody's using these sheets, you know, behind, uh, you know, keeping it secret, so I can see that, what, there are, there's only three skulls. Wow, that's Aha. a bit of good information to me. I don't want anybody to know that... Um, well, actually, oh, there's only three skulls. Okay, that actually is of zero use whatsoever. Because, <laughs> um, because okay, I, I, you know, if I'd seen two of the skulls, then the murderer might have a skull. But because I, I can basically rule that out. But this is an interesting thing. Because these are relatively useless cards to me, but they might be interesting to you, one of the things you can do in the two-player game is, oh, I'd like to know who these accomplices are. One of the actions is, I can go on ahead and reveal James Moriarty, and, um, and then I'll find out, oh... It's not Miss Hudson either. And I start making notes of where I know icons are, and I'm through process elimination trying to figure out what this is. And now you know where some, because suddenly you know it's not Moriarty, you know that, but you don't know that I've got all the other skulls. So I'm still one step ahead of you in terms of the game, and I've just gotten some more information. And then when it comes to your turn, uh, well, you could go on ahead and try to grab the other one, but maybe giving yep. me information. That's the trick of this game. Trying to get information from the game without giving too much away. I don't think I gave much away there because, I mean, you still don't know if these could both still be skulls for all you know. I'm the one who has that extra bit of knowledge. So you could go yep. on ahead and find out the other one, or you could start asking me, oh, well, skulls, I'm interested about that. You could ask me, hey, how many skulls do I have in my hand? And then I'd have to reveal I have two. And then the cat's up. And you now know everything I know. Except, of course, for Miss Hudson. And so the game goes like this, back and forth. Um, mostly us kind of almost playing Go Fish-style questions. Trying to figure out, well, why is he asking me that? If he's asking me about pipes, what does that mean he knows about pipes? And so you're also taking uh, note of, who asked me what and when? Because they were trying to find something out. What did they need to know? And ultimately, it's a race to be able to guess who this is. And I haven't played it, but you have. As I understand it, this is like a fast 10, 15-minute deduction game, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it is quick. And that's why I really enjoy it in that sense, because... When you, if you go to my channel and watch the replay, Michelle and I played it several times. Oh, in, in your one playthrough? We played like three or four times. Yeah. yeah, we did more than one playthrough. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, um, that's very, very cool. I had no idea you played it. But yeah. the reason, folks, that I just did a quick little unboxing of it is because one of you lucky viewers has a chance to win your own copy of Sherlock 13. And, well, how do they do it? Well, friends, as you're watching the show, you're going to pay attention and listen to one of us say the secret word. And today's secret word is summertime. 
summertime. Yes, it, we're right on the precipice of summertime here. <laughs> we are in May. So um, summertime, what else are going to say? it? And what are you going to do? Um, you're going to type in the name of the game that we are talking about when we say this uh, secret word summertime. Yes. And you're going to send that in an email uh, to contest.rotten.com, and you'll be entered to win your very own copy of Sherlock 13. Yes. Now, I should add, you will win a copy of Sherlock 13 if you are in North America. Uh, because that's where our sponsor of the show, Arcane Wonders, has the rights to distribute to the game. Other publishers distribute it in other countries. So if you're in North America, you're going to win this. But what if you're not in North America and you win? Well, um, instead of picking up some excellent, super-fast filler deduction gaming, you will get a copy of Azul Summer Pavilion, which I believe you've nice. also played, haven't you, Ruel? Yeah, uh, this one is actually Michelle's favorite version of Azul. We really? love this game. Yeah, we love the base game. Um, I wasn't a, uh, I, I liked Sintra, Class of Sintra. That was okay, but this one is excellent. Um, it takes everything we like about the original Azul, you know, the tile, you know, drafting and stuff, but it just adds a little more. You've got wild tiles that you can do. And you, as you can see there, it's instead of the uh, normal, like a square board, you're now you're filling up stars and uh, these different shapes. And mm -hmm. you sort of, you want to do them in sequential order. If you can, that'll get you more points. But if not, that's okay. You still have a way to make up for it with the wild tiles and stuff. And yeah, uh, this is definitely Michelle's favorite. She's always, you wow. know, whenever we talk about Azul, this is the one that will come off the shelf. And excellent, excellent game. I bet you you've done a video for this. Uh, you have in your archive too, don't you? You know what's funny? No, we haven't. Oh Actually, no! This is, I was going to. We haven't had a chance to play. Yeah, we, we're going to have to. We're going to have to do it so we can, you can link to it in the show notes. We'll have to correct that. Yes. Um, yes. It's interesting you say it's Michelle's favorite. Uh, for me, Azul has reached its pinnacle with uh, Queen's Garden, since it's Azul yes. meets Castles of Burgundy. But yeah, if you like Azul, Azul's uh, Summer Pavilion. Uh, uh, Michelle is not alone in saying it is the best of the series. So, folks, yeah, yeah. as Ruel said. Send an email to contest at rado.com in the subject, the name of the game uh, that was being discussed when one of us says summertime. Or, I don't know, bust out into song saying, ain't no cure for the summertime blues. I don't know how it's going to come up. Uh, unless, of course, it's me, in which case I've already got a plan for how I want to work it in. But it's up to you to spot it and send that email in. Okay, then. Yes. Uh, well, right. it's time to continue our top 100 of all time, right? Yeah. All the, right. The definitive list of the greatest games of all time. Of I, I, I think this will stand, um, you know, etched in stone for all times. You know, thousands of years from now, people will say, will look to us <laughs> to determine which ones are the best. And today, we're doing um, 40 through 31, if I recall correctly. Yes? That is correct. Yes, right. 40 through 31. We're past the halfway point. There's no turning back now. Um, so let's kick it off with the number 40. And I can let's tell you right that. now, the ones, yeah, the one, now, this, of course, folks, this is a shared list. Um, I, I I think I have some surprises here. Um, okay. That will surprise you. So let's start with number 40. I'm excited. Which I absolutely love Tyrants of the Underdark. Oh my gosh. Right? Wow. Surprised, it surprised me too. And the more I thought about it and the just remembering my gameplays of it, I was like, I need to include this on our list because this is an absolute fantastic game. Now, I love deck building. I love the mechanism. But if you're going to ask me to play a deck builder, I will always say, I want a deck builder with a board. I want it to be part of a bigger game. Sure. And Tyrants of the Underdark may be the best of those. I mean, you have, we've had, Whoa. I think we talked about, Whoa. yeah, I think we talked about Clank Whoa. before. Remember we, yeah, right? This, this is, I'm coming, I'm bringing it today, my friend. Wow. Uh, what sorry, this I'm is, sorry. is, <laughs> please continue. <laughs> What this is, it's Blood Rage meets Dominion. Wow. Um, it's a mashup of area control, area majority, okay. uh, with with deck building in it. You're going to play, you can see there, your minions, or you know, there's monsters that you have to defeat as well. But here's the thing. I love, there's this little thing that they do that I've only seen one, I think one of the deck builders, a deck builder called Valley of the Kings did this back in the day, where you can trash certain cards but you're going to get points for those cards oh. but here's the thing the tension is when do you trash that card because it's going to be a powerful card it's going to help you you know win control of all these different areas but at the same time man this is worth a lot of points do i get rid of it because if you don't trash it by the end of the game guess what you don't get points for it you've got it. it's called i think putting your inner circle or something like that you know very D D. so I think this one gets overlooked a lot just because maybe people aren't, aren't into the D&D &D theme. And I know at first when I heard about it, I, you know, I like D&D, &D, but I was like, eh, D&D &D board game. I, I've got Lords of Waterdeep. It's all good. This one, I'm going to argue, is even better. It is fantastic. Jeez Louise. Now, 
as a two player, I mean, it's not okay. gonna, it's not as good as a four player game, obviously. Area control with the area often control. suffers at lower player. Yeah, kind of sure. but oh my gosh, it is fantastic. Um, you know, area control, deck building, I'm all about it. That's why it's our number 40, Tyrants of the Underdark. Wow, I have to admit, I've never played that one, but boy, you have really piqued my curiosity in it. Um, yeah. Especially, I mean, the, the most important thing you said there, that idea of, oh, I've got these powerful cards, but I have to sacrifice them. And you're right. Um, Valley of the Kings does that. Uh, there's a few other deck builders that have used that as their central, like, kind of, oh, well, I built this deck up, and now I have to tear it apart. And to bring yeah. that into a bigger game with more stuff going on and cool, high fantasy yeah. concepts, that is much yeah. cooler, yeah. I have to admit, than I have previously given credit to it. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's fantastic. And, you know, I... You know, I, I've been raving about this game for years, and I just feel like it's underappreciated, but it's definitely the number 40 of all time. Okay, cool. Well, okay. Um, that was a very controversial pick, I suppose. Uh, yep. I'm going to go for a controversial <laughs> pick in a completely different arena, uh, because number 39 on the list is Santa Maria. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to say about Santa Maria. First of all, I'll just talk about the qualities of the gameplay. Uh, this is an absolutely brilliant cross of dice drafting, incredibly tense dice drafting, and very, very satisfying um, tile-laying, polyomino-style tile-laying, because we are colonizing, we are conquistadors, colonizing South America, and uh, wiping out the indigenous peoples, and, you know, converting. I mean, we're doing a lot of terrible things in this game. And I'll come back to that in a second. But the gameplay we do it through is some of the best mechanisms I've ever seen in any board game. Incredibly rich and tense and exciting and the fun factor for days. And now, unfortunately, it is a game where we are literally doing the worst we can do to the indigenous peoples. And the game is very controversial when it came out because the developers knew that they were not trying to, um, you know, um, glamorize uh, colonization. They were trying to satirize it. Because the game does certain things, like you don't score victory points in this game, you score happiness points. And in fact, um, the game, huh. your victory points are represented by these big, smiley, happy faces. Um, because what the developers <laughs> wanted to do with Santa Maria was literally create a, a cognitive dissonance, discomfort. Um, because you're playing the game, you're having a really good time, oh, there's so much fun going on, and well, I'm earning happiness points, but then you go and you read the end of the rulebook, where they there's actually a fairly searing indictment of the actual acts we're taking part in. So in some ways, this game was a bit ahead of the curve because um, these days, cultural consultancy is becoming a much more common thing. But for this game, they actually got a, an adjunct professor, if I recall correctly, to write up an indictment of the act of colonization and really to open people's eyes to how it was a literal industry. I learned a lot about the world and this dark chapter of history by playing this game. And what the developers wanted to do was say, oh, on the surface, everything looks fine because it's being told from the victor's point of view, but what about that of the oppressed? And so they said, well, okay, let's put that voice in the rule book, and so this can be a growing moment. Now, I'll be the first to admit, or else I'll be the second to admit, because the developers themselves are the first to admit that while it was a noble intention to use irony to underscore tragedy, it doesn't really work. And, um, you know, there have definitely been games that have treaded this ground in a much better way. Uh, another thing, though, uh, to recognize the fact that in the end, while they were trying to have a, a strong message using irony to underscore tragedy, uh, they, they failed. And so they did ultimately put an expansion out for it that actually lets you play as the Incans. Oh, my mistake, it was actually play as the Mayans struggling to defend your culture. So, it's. I okay. think maybe the game would have been better received if that additional content had been there from the get-go so that the marginalized weren't vanished. I mean, the whole point was, oh, we're trying to show how they were vanished and how you know their lives were worth less. And that's a cool academic idea, but in practice, it makes for an uncomfortable game, which is a shame because, coming back to the beginning, this is one of the best Euro games, uh, best tile-layer dice-drafting games that have ever come around. And so, I hope... Well, I hope and pray that as an anniversary dates for this come up, that maybe the developers will get a chance to revisit it and look for ways to um, repackage the gameplay and ideas. Like the upcoming uh, Prayer to Rico, which is mm -hmm. completely yes. resetting the stage for after independence is won. I could see that same thing done with Santa Maria uh, so that it could... Um, 
uh, you know, warrant having a uh, long-term success and, you know, stand side by side with some of, uh, the other games that are as good a design. So it was, it was an interesting experiment, flawed execution, brilliant gameplay, um, did make up for it somewhat with the expansion content that actually gave voices to, uh, those who it had set aside, but there's still a long way to go. But the gameplay is still one of my favorites of all time. So, like I said, it was a bit controversial. My number thirty-nine, Santa Maria. Yeah, is this? Um, has it been out of print for a while? It has been it out of print, print for a while. And okay. um, honestly, yeah. like I said, the developers themselves—they realized they listened. Uh, they were not the type of developers who, when when people spoke up and said, "This is terrible," like what are we talking about? It's just a game. They never did that. They always engaged in open and honest discussion. Tried to explain what they were doing, admitting where it had gone wrong. And like I have talked to them since, and they have said, "Yeah." If, if we could, we would have done everything differently. And I really do hope somewhere down the road they repackage this because, again, the gameplay is some of the best you will ever see. Um, and so when I do play it, it's interesting. I'm a meat eater. I know I should be a vegan. I know the horrors that are yeah. visited upon animals. Um, and so we do eat meat, but mostly it's all sourced from lo- local sources that we know about. If we do mm-hmm. go out and eat... I actually punish myself and think about the videos I've seen of mistreatment of animals while I'm eating a McDonald's Mm. hamburger. It's just this weird thing I do. And I kind of do the same thing with Santa Maria, um, which makes it a tricky game. uh, But still, number 39. Maybe we should move on, though, to happier Uh, times. What's number 38? I don't know know if this is much of a happier game, but um, it it, it is an outstanding game mechanically. Uh, It's number 38, Pipeline. uh, Oh, okay. From Capstone Games um, and uh, designer uh, Ryan Ryan Courtney, uh, art by Eno Two. This one came out a few years ago, and it just with me and my particular gaming group, it was a huge, huge hit. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if this is uh, part of that. I mean, I feel like it's part of that trend of having these really meaty games that play in about ninety minutes. You know, which I really appreciate. You know, a Euro game that you know doesn't take three, four hours, then you can really, I mean, there's some really tense uh, moments here. Um, It's got this uh, uh, economy system that you're working. You're basically trying to refine oil, you know, and, um, you know, thoughts on that, you know, we'll keep that, uh, uh, we we don't need to comment on that stuff. Uh, But what are you going to, oh, microphone, microphone. Um, okay. Sorry about that. I just wanted to interrupt for a second. I apologize. Oh, interrupt it's off again. Folks, right. I, we have no idea um, what half of this list is going to be. We both come up with our list independently, send them to a friend of ours who makes sure we don't have yeah. overlaps. And I do find it ironic that you and I have back to back. Okay, <laughs> I uh, uh, chose a game for our list that puts us in a really terrible role from 500 years ago yeah. that still resonates today. And you put us in <laughs> boots that are really yeah. terrible today that will resonate into yeah. the future. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. it's Go just on. one Go of those on. things. It's one of those things. Okay, let me uh, pick up here. So, yes. can we get one more audio check? Uh, check. Yep. Yep. Everything. Okay, be you're fine, good. Okay, yep. cool, cool, cool. And people in chat, thank you, uh, friends in chat. Okay, so I'm gonna yeah. pick it back up here. I don't remember what I was saying. I was saying, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, pipeline. What it does, it fuses uh, economy plus. What I really like about it, and this is what really attracted me to the game, is this little puzzly element where you're trying to connect actual pipes uh, to each other using this really interesting tile lane uh, system. You're laying down your own little puzzle that you're trying to solve and trying to make it as efficient as possible to you know pump out the oil, uh, refining it through your through your pipes and. You know, this game, it goes by so quick. Like, you know, you're struggling just to get that first automation up. And then by the end of the, like, I think it's four rounds. By the end of that fourth round, you're, like, pumping out all this, you know, uh, oil, refined oil. You're making all kinds of money. Then, boom, it's all over. It's like, what the heck? It's over? But it is a really wonderful design. Um, Again, the subject matter might not be, it's not my favorite, might not be yours. But the gameplay itself is rock solid. That's why it's our number 38, Pipeline. Yeah, I have heard nothing but good things about the gameplay for this. Um, you know, that that mix of heavy, crunchy economic euro and then really fun, satisfying puzzly tile layer is yeah. not a very common combination at all. But yeah. yeah. yeah it, you, and it works. It, it works. You know, and I know that they have a, a um, 
uh, expansion that came out recently that's supposed to make it even better. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, 38 pipeline. Let's uh, let's. I'm curious to see where uh, our number 37 is. Can we get off the I... controversial games here? <laughs> I hope so. I believe number 37 on the list is going to be a little bit, um, you know, more comfortable for everybody. It is Elysium, which is nice. such an amazing game, and it's interesting. Um, there's a kind of overlap between this and the one we just talked about a bit ago, Tyrants of the Underdark. Because mm-hmm. one of my favorite things in board game design is a game that gives me some really, really, really cool superpower um, that I can leverage to really good effect. And then sooner or later, I realize, oh, this is giving me all kinds of resources and it lets me do all kinds of great actions, but it's not giving me any points. Not until I retire this card out of the game. Not until I personally sacrifice my MVP superpower will I actually score points. And like you said, that's a big part of Tyrant of the Underdark. It's everything of this game because we are young gods in the Greek pantheon and uh, we are overseeing the affairs of men which are represented by a bunch of cards that are out in the center of the board. And every round, more cards come out. And these are just all the affairs of mortals that we can meddle with. And we're drafting. On my turn, I'll grab a card. Then you'll grab a card. Then I'll grab a card. And there's some interesting stuff about how you have to uh, use resources and you're limited by um, you know what godly pillars you have available to you. But at the end of the day, we're taking turns grabbing cards that give us special powers. And when we do, we put them in front of us um, on one side of this player board we've got. And that represents, we control this while it's still on the earthly realm. We can tap them, we can use their powers, we can convert things into other things. We can do all kinds of stuff. This game has so much variability because if I recall correctly, it comes with eight different decks of cards. And every time you play, you mix up five different um, suits of those eight, which will create a very unique feeling game depending on what types of powers. Like in the one I'm showing here on screen right now, the Oracle is in the game, which means we can actually see some of the cards that will be coming next round. But if um, if we weren't playing with the Oracle... It would be a very, very different feeling game. There's some that are more warlike, as you might imagine, with Ares and all of that. But anyway, the important thing is, at the end of every round, we have the opportunity to take these cards that are really the cornerstone of everything we can do, and we can they can ascend to Elysium. So they will come up and you know be in Mount Olympus with us, at which point, oh, we're doing a set collection, trying to create straights, literal poker hands, effectively, uh, out of these cards, because they have suits and numbers. And um, if we do that... We, uh, what well, we're going to score more points at the end of the game for the better hands we can make, but we lose these incredible powers that we desperately need to do. And so this entire game is an incredibly tense tightrope of knowing, when do I bring these over? Because you don't, you can't just bring them over whenever you want. You, there's only certain circumstances under which you can actually do it. So sometimes you're like, oh, I have the opportunity to retire one of the, I don't want to retire any of these right now, but I don't want to waste this opportunity. And the game, I'm running out of time. What am I going to do? This game... One is stunningly gorgeous. One of the prettiest card games you are ever going to see. Tons of replayability with all the different varieties of cards that can be mixed and matched together. And then just that insane, incredible tension that you were talking about in Tyrants of the Underdark is here in spades in uh, number 37, Elysium. That. I, I'm kicking myself because I had a chance to play this right before the pandemic and I passed. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll just play it next time we get together. It's been two years, folks. I still haven't played <laughs> oh, this no. game. I was like, oh my gosh, it hurts. Because I know, I mean, it's beautiful and I know how highly well regarded this is. And I mean, for all the reasons you talked about, I, I can't wait to actually play this. Um, oh, yeah. These, uh, Make these the days. time. Yeah. It is worth it. And the I mean, this, I believe, this was like the uh, first uh, co-design from uh, Matt Dudson and Brett Gilbert, who have gone on to oh. do really great things, you know, with other designers and also every time they team up. This was like a yeah. big, uh, huge launch for them. And the tragedy, Ruel, is they've designed a full expansion for it. But publisher Space Cowboys let it lapse. So oh, no. Brett and Matt, seriously... I want wow. to play that expansion so bad. If you're ever thinking about it, give me a call. I will literally start up a Rotto Runs Through Publishing Arm just to get the expansion for Elysium published. I want to play it so bad. It's number 36. Nice. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to our number 36. And this is a game that skyrocketed, in my estimation, uh, once it was released uh, last year. And okay. I knew it was going to be on this on our list here. Number 36, Cascadia. I mean, it was... Okay. Um, yeah, it, it was just from the get-go, the first time playing. I, actually, we, we had hyped it uh, actually last year. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we knew it was coming out. And um, 
it, it was just everything about it I love. It's a tile laying game. As you can see there, I'm actually playing a solo game there on the stream on my live stream tabletop tonight or on my Twitch channel. Um, and you're basically just setting up uh, your little habitat here. You're selecting two, uh, a pair of tiles, a habitat tile and then a wildlife tile, and you place it um, adjacent to other tiles that have been previously placed. And depending on the scoring cards, they all score differently. Mm -hmm. So you're going to mm -hmm. not only score the tiles that you lay down, but also the wildlife tokens that you're laying down, uh, depending on what you've selected, like the bears. We, we play with like the bears of the pairs. You know, they come in pairs. <laughs> but there's there's also other ones where bears would score in like little groups of three or four. The hawks score differently and, and the fish can be in a line. Oh my gosh, everything about this game I love. Michelle and I, it's been probably our most played game this, in the last uh, 12 months or so. Wow. We absolutely adore it. And, um, you know, it's like the perfect summertime game, right? You just go yeah. relax, chill, and it's like you're in the outdoors, you know, uh, playing and hanging out with the animals and expanding your habitat. Uh, designer Randy Flynn has come up with a real gem here, and that's why it's our number 36, Cascadia. I completely agree. So... It's it's a it's an odd, interesting combination of real tension, but it's also mm -hmm. so incredibly relaxed. Um, right? Yeah, yeah I, it's, it's it's a tough yeah. act to pull off. I agree. Yeah, and like I remember when we, it first came out, you and I had talked about it. It's got this whole like the duo like tile drafting. You know, not yeah. just one tile, but you're taking two. And yes. it's just a really interesting idea because I want this one, but I also want this one, but I, I have to go with the pair I get. Now, there are ways to mitigate that by spending the little pine cones. You know, you can select what you want, but <laughs> it's tough to get those throughout the game. Oh, it's just everything about this I, I love, and I will continue to play it uh, in the near future and beyond. An excellent call. Excellent. And I believe a lot of people agree with you. This game has really blown up. Huge yes. success. Uh, good call. Okay. Well, let's move on to a number 35, which is definitely an older game on my personal greats of all time, from one of the greatest board game designers of all time, Vladimir Sushi. The game itself is Shipyard, or um, Diverft, as it was called in Germany. I've, I've had this game so long, I've got an original German copy, uh, which is fine, because it's language Ooh. independent. And in this game, players are trying to build up uh, the best epic um, you know, ships they can. Um, you know, we start out in the Age of Sail, but we then move on to the Age of Steam throughout the course of the game. And what this game is best remembered for is, this is the one with all the rondelles. There are literally, depending on how you want to count it, five unique rondelles on the board at once wow. um, that are driving uh, your, your ability to draft the ship pieces, the canals where you will test your ship, the, um, uh, 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 the accessories for your ship, the crew for your ship, the uh, employees you can get, who give you special powers and the actions you can do turn to turn. And um, while it is, it is one of the heaviest games in my collection, it really makes your brain burn. And a big part of that is because of all the rondelles, literally within rondelles. I think um, what doesn't get remembered is what really makes this game special. The biggest rondelle, the action selection rondelle, is really kind of more of almost a worker placement game crossed with a... Uh, Oh, what would you call it? Um, a time track game, because uh, every time you know it's your turn that comes around to you, you're going to take your marker, you're going to move it somewhere on this central rondelle. That will determine which other rondelle you're going to interact with this round, which can be tough in and of itself because every rondelle you can spend money to be able to manipulate in certain ways. But when you move forward and pick one of these core actions. Well, first of all, the action you just left goes to the front of the line, and you can't pick that one again. But you can pick anything else. The interesting thing is, you want to pick something that's further back that other people have skipped over. Because for every person who has skipped an action, when you do it, you get income. And you desperately need that income to be able to control your positioning on all the other rondelles. And that is such a brilliant system. I've never seen anything quite like it before or since. And then on top of that, you've got a really great sense of satisfaction as the game goes on. And you, I mean, this might be a game where you build, you know, two or three smaller or medium-sized ships, or you could spend the entire game just going for one big epic ship. Um, you know, one Titanic-sized ship that hopefully will work out for you better than the Titanic did. It can win you the game because of the secret objectives you have as part of setup. I have always been so impressed by it. And while it's, uh, you know, it's it's an older game, I think it's been out of print for quite a while. There is no denying. I mean, uh, you know, this was not Vladimir Sushi's first game, but this one, I think, really introduced the world to just what an incredibly mind-bendingly brilliant designer he is. So, uh, 
Uh, that's why it makes the list at our number 35, Shipyard. Wow, nice. I, I yeah, it's been out of print for years. Yeah. And I would love to play this. Come on, folks, can we get a reprint, please? I want to play this game. Jeff Games this, Edition. This sounds surely, fantastic. Surely, it yes. must be time for an anniversary edition coming soon, right? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Great choice. Okay, let's move on to number 34. Uh, this one may be a little controversial as well. We'll see. Okay. But number 34, if you're a word game fan, this is going to be your jam. This is paperback. Um, I love, love, love paperback. Uh, it's my favorite word game of all time. I'm a word nerd, folks. I play the Daily Wordle. I do crossword puzzles. I love any kind of word game out there. Paperback does it the best. It is Scrabble meets Dominion, exactly. fused for all the best parts of it, and it plays in like 20 to 30 minutes. As you can see there, I'm playing it live. I'm soloing it, actually. Uh, it comes with a cooperative mode in which you can play solo. And as you can see there, just like any de good deck builder, you're playing five cards at a time. Then you're trying to create words. Those words will uh, create currency, which will allow you buy uh, more letters. Some of those letters or letter combos will be worth more points uh, later on or more coins, which allow you to you know get the uh, the victory point cards there at the top. Oh, man. I, I play this game at least... 50 times in my lifetime. I love it. Uh, Michelle and I, when we first started dating, we played Scrabble, you know, is before yeah. we got into modern board games. Yeah. And then once we got into the hobby, when I discovered this, I was like, oh yeah, we'll never play Scrabble again. I mean, honestly, I'll still play Scrabble, but we haven't since we got in paperback. It is the uh, premier, the greatest board game out there. That's why it's our number 34, paperback. Ah, there is no controversy there, sir. Uh, that makes perfect cool. sense to me. It's not only one of the greatest word games of all time. As far as I'm concerned, it's one of the greatest deck builders of all time, too. Nice. It really nice. Yeah, I wasn't up. sure. Like, you know, I, so people hear word games are like, eh, you know, whatever, Scrabble. That's the first thing. Or Boggle, which are fine. But this one takes it to that next level. That's why I loved it so much. And hopefully y'all who aren't into word games, come on, give us a, give it a try. Word that was me. as a deck builder is fantastic. That was me and Jen. We went into it thinking, oh, oh ugh, Dominion, okay, happy. With Scrabble, ugh, pass, please. But um, okay. there are, for, there's two things that made a Scrabble hater like me love this game. One, the co-op mode. Which is fantastic. Yes. It is so good. Yes. Uh, if you don't, if you like playing with other people, playing a word game where we're working together trying to come up with the best word is brilliant. It's fun. It's yeah. tense. It's exciting. But even if you want to play it competitively, there's a brilliant little extra mechanism in here where you can say, "Look, I know there's a good word here. I personally can't think of it. You, well, you're really good at these. Um, what I can do is I can basically set a bounty where I can say, hey, look, here's my hand of cards. Can anybody help me? Can anybody come up with a better word than what I came up with? Um, because if so, I will pay you. And you will actually receive, uh, they're just basically little cubes that you can use for different special powers. And I always thought that was actually brilliant as a way yes. to, um, you know, to, uh, you know, kind of even the playing field. Because a problem with Scrabble, you're always going to have people who are miserable because they're just not good at it up against people who just have dictionaries in their brain. So why not bridge the yeah. gap and let your opponent help you? They get something out of it. You get something out of it. Everybody's having more fun. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up that point. Yeah, it totally levels the playing field. So you don't have to be like that total, uh, that person who's memorized all, all has memorized all the two-letter words and stuff. You don't have to be that person. You can totally just play it and, you know, use those special abilities. Yeah, yeah. great yep. call. Great, great, uh, great reminder. Great entry. Okay. No, no controversy there at all. Very cool choice. Awesome. But let's move on to number 33, one that I think is even better. It's uh, another cooperative game. Forbidden Desert, which um, oh, honestly, nice. you know, uh, what's it? Uh, Matt Leacock, the designer, made such a huge name for himself with Pandemic, right? Such a huge monster hit to this day, and deservedly so. And what he followed up with, Forbidden Island, a wonderful little gateway-style family game that you could play with kids, you could play with noobs. For me and Jen, we wanted to love it because we love Pandemic so much, but it was just way too light for us. So we went into his second game in the Forbidden series, Forbidden Desert, with a bit of trepidation. We thought, oh, is this going to be another really super-duper lightweight, um, you know, Pandemic a spin-off and no it's not. This game is super duper crunchy and it's so much fun and it is so thematic. What's the situation? We um, are travelers in an air machine that has crashed in a desert, a forbidden desert, and we are literally going to die of thirst and starvation if we cannot recreate this ancient lost flying ship from an old uh, civilization that is buried under the sands. So we are desperately running around this randomly generated um, desert, literally trying to dig, being 
proper archaeologists um, to survive, to try to find all the pieces of this airship to put together. Which, by the way, they didn't need to, but it's actually a cool little, like, toy airship you put together, which is just, <laughs> that you can actually put our little player pawns on when we win, if we win, and fly yeah. away. But the trick is, the board itself is a sliding puzzle. After you do your turn, which is going to be spend a certain number of actions to move around, use your special powers, dig, 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 uh, we're going to draw event cards that makes the eye of the sandstorm move. And it's very much like a traditional sliding puzzle that will make um, the sands completely shift. And uh, over time, more and more sand will grow and fill, creating walls that we have to find our way to walk around. And uh, so over the course of the game, it, it becomes a big maze. What starts out, oh, it's just an open desert. The longer we go and the more the tiles shift around and the more walls come up, the more desperate we are. Because also in that deck of cards, in addition to all the wind blows cards, are sun beats down. And when I say this is thematic, it I feel that sun beating down on me. Because you know there are a certain number of them in the deck. You have to kind of plan, right, we haven't seen one for a while. Chances are we're going to see one before too long. I need to spend some of my actions to end in a cave. Or I need to get over to that well because I'm going to need water desperately. Or maybe this is the turn where I deploy my, my fantastical steampunk machine that I've got that will protect me from the sun because I think like there's a 70% chance that the sun is going to beat down this turn. And so this game, much more so than the original Pandemic, really incentivizes you playing close attention to those event cards to know when you are relatively safe and when you are at a very, very high level of danger and coordinate with all the other players. So I love all of that. But more than anything else, what I really love here is this is a game where the world is alive, where it's in motion, where it doesn't just sit there waiting for us to do stuff. It's actively moving around trying to kill us. And that so <laughs> elevates this above its contemporaries. Because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of pandemic-inspired games that have come out over the years. But, um, you know... Uh, who better than Matt Leacock to really nail it with number 33, Forbidden Desert. Yeah, excellent, excellent choice. I also love this game. And I remember after playing this, right after I played Forbidden Island, I, I was like, okay, I'm done with Forbidden Island. It's all about <laughs> desert now. Because yeah. I, Forbidden Island, again, a wonderful gateway game, but this one's got some meat on its bones for the reasons you're talking about. It is a living game. Just those sandstorms moving around, the puzzle element to it. Oh, it's been a while since I played this. I, you know, just hearing about it, I was like, I need to play this again. It's it's excellent. It'll be Great just call. as good as you remember. It's just so fast nice. to set up, and it's just a solid yep. hour of excitement and action and tension and crunchiness too. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Love it. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to do a number 32 next. Yes. And this is another game that was based on a previously uh, released game. That's hmm. our number 32, Seven Wonders Duel. So this is taking Seven Wonders, the yep. classic yep, yep. Uh, game by Antoine Bauza. And it's streamlined it down into a two-player version and... I'm going to tell you, it's better in every single way. Uh, it is absolutely wonderful. It plays in 30 minutes. I'm going to tell you, the reason why I love this the most, I don't have to explain how science scores in this game. Because <laughs> science in the original game was like, okay, I've got exponents. I've got to get a calculator. What's going on? No, here's science. If you get six of the seven science tokens, you just automatically win. Just like the military, if you get it all the way to your opponent's track, you win there. But... You know, what really sets this game, uh, elevates the game, is the card drafting here. Yeah. So in the original, you are literally, you're doing Sushi Ghost-style uh, card drafting. You take one pass the rest of your opponent. That, that's fine. That's great when you have multiple players. With this two-player, you see there on the screen as you're going through your run-through, it's a tableau of cards that are you can see and some cards that you cannot. Yeah. So it's really interesting. You can plan, but you can't plan too far ahead because there are certain cards that may trip you up there. But I love the push and pull of this game. Um, it retains all the flavor of Seven Wonders, of building your civilization, of building your wonders and unlocking special abilities and getting uh, resources. 
it retains all of that, but just streamlines it down to perfection, I think. Um, it's just a wonderful game. Two-player, brilliant. One of the all-time great two-player games. Um, I love it. I'll play it anytime it's near the table. Um, that's why it's our number 32, Seven Wonders Duel. Yeah, um, our entire list would have been invalid if this had not made our top 100, quite frankly. Agreed. Uh, you, yeah. It is not hyperbole on your part to say this is one of the best two-player specific you know couple style games that have ever come out um yeah yeah and that's why it breaks my heart so much because i love it too i love the yeah. uh the pyramid draft thing and i love uh-huh. the simplified streamline it hits all the notes of seven wonders but just so clean and smooth just why yeah. well why did they put in all the mean attacky stuff why can I steal yeah. you? Know, it's not even that I steal your stuff. I can take your stuff and set it on fire so you, neither you nor I have it. I just don't understand <laughs> yeah. why. Because the beautiful thing about the original Seven Wonders is that game had, um, you know, it, it was a civilization game. It recreated, you know, all these precepts of a civ game like Warfare, but it did it in a way where everybody was working together. The central message of the original Seven Wonder is oh, a rising tide floats all boats. The better I'm doing, the better my neighbors are doing. And in this game, they said, no, the better I'm doing, the more I am crushing you under my thumb. Yeah. And uh, it's done brilliantly. And if you're not put off yeah. by the fact that, hey, depending on what you do, you could, I mean, this money that's so desperate, that I've so desperately worked for so long, you could then take it and literally not even use it for yourself, not steal it. That'd be one thing. But take it and yeah. literally set it on fire in front of me so that nobody has it. That's the only problem uh, that keeps me from, I mean, this would probably be in my top 10 games of all time. I can take Solace, yeah. though, because that brilliant pyramid card draft that is the fundamental mechanism in the game you mentioned a little bit ago paperback which just turns that's right in some way paperback uh turns seven wonders duel into a cooperative game which is awesome too yeah yeah that's right yeah so yeah i i totally yeah i now you i'm glad you made that connection where you're trying to get those victory point cards in paperback by unveiling you know unveiling them as you as you go on the same thing here at seven wonders duel and yeah you know what you're you're right though if <laughs> it is there are some mean attacky things in this game so might not be your jam but again the the, the design is absolute brilliant and yeah second to none I, I completely yes. agree. Very good call. Okay. okay. Well, um, I've got one more to talk about. Number 31 on the list is Black Angel, which, oh my gosh, I love this game to pieces. Uh, it's from Pearl Games. Um, Javier Georges, um, uh, Sebastian Dujardin, and Elaine Orban. The three of these guys, when they get together, they make magic. And this is probably their biggest, most ambitious game they have ever done. It's kind of a grim setting. Basically, humanity has screwed up so bad, we say, okay, it's time to leave. But the nearest planet is so far away, um, we can't do a generational ship. We just have to uh, make an arc full of genetic material, and hopefully in five millennia, when the planet gets there, humanity can start over. But this mission that was so important, all the governments of the world decided that, well, I want to make sure this mission doesn't fail. The, you know, our species is at stake here. So all the governments of the world decided, you know what? Our AI programmers are better than yours. And nobody could agree on programming the AI for this automated ship. And so it was agreed that there would be a competition amongst AIs. And whichever AI did the best job of keeping the ship going, dealing with crises, um, alien encounters and all that, would be the AI that would lead us into the future. A, uh... Uh, a very politically charged idea, one that you could certainly see yeah. certain people would agree. Oh, yeah, competition, market of free ideas. That's always the best way to go. That always produces the best results. It can also produce some very, very bad results, the fundamental competitive drive, because in this game, each player is an AI trying to prove it is the best AI. Um, and uh, you can do that at the expense of your opponents or at the expense of the ship. There's no guarantee the Black Angel will actually make it to Spes, the planet called Hope in Latin. Um, but the trip there is a blast. This is basically three big Euro games all crammed together. At its heart, there is is a very, very cool dice drafting slash worker placement game where um, you, you send out you, these cute, adorable little robots. Kind of look like Robbie the Robot um, you know, from the old uh, yeah. Lost in Space. Because I guess that's what we are. We are Lost in Space. But we have a goal. Um, and the more robots you put in these different departments, the more dice you can get that represents the CPU usage of the ship. And the thing is, the, the CPU usage of the ship is available to everybody. So I have some dice, you have some dice, and you know, all the players do. And in a two-player game, there's 
there's a dummy player who has some. So I could use my dice, or I could use yours. And to do it, I will actually pay you in the fundamental core resources of the game. So, um, some people think of it as like a really aggressive game where we're constantly stealing it from each other. But Jen and I, we don't look at it that way. This is a game where, oh, I don't own any of the dice. It's just um, some of the dice are free and some of them I have to pay for. But I will often happily, oh, that's a really great topic. That one cost me. That one's free. That one cost me. That one's free. But regardless of whether you use the ones that are in front of you or you pay your opponent to use their dice, once you get those dice, you start driving the other two core parts of the game. There is an actual space field that is really cool because the board is constantly updating as we get closer and closer to space. And you really get this sense of traveling through the cosmos. And um, you can launch away missions. Your little robots can get... Your adorable little robots can get in adorable little spaceships and go zipping all around to all the uh, planets you're flying by to complete mission cards you've got. So that's one use of these cards. But the other use of these cards is the other game. You can reprogram program yourself. You are an AI. You, every player has this little grid off to the side that has tiles that represent all the subroutines you can run. And you can run those subroutines by spending those same cards. The cards can let you run missions out on the space, or they can run your AI routines to do goods conversion and all kinds of stuff. And you're constantly growing your AI brain and reprogramming yourself. You're constantly chasing after different missions out on the board. And you're also constantly trying to keep the Black Angel from crashing because it's constantly under assault from all kinds of events. And so players have to divide their attentions while always, you know, at the core central thing, playing a very strong dice drafting game. The game looks fantastic for art from yep. Ian O'Toole. It's so wonderful to see space bright and vibrant and colorful. Yes. It's a fun, tension-filled game from start to finish, and it is crunchy. Like I said, this is three full, deep, heavy Euro games all crunched into one, which puts it at number 31 on the list, Black Angel. Awesome choice. Yeah, my brain still hurts from my last play of this yeah. a couple of years ago. It was pre-pandemic, and it was crunchy, like you said. But again, I, I just I, just on a, a, a note, the, the art. Yeah, why can't more space games be bright like this? Mm -hmm. I just, I love the design choice in this because, you know, you think sci-fi space, everything's dark and everything else. So I'm glad that they got a young tool to do it. It is... Yeah, wonderful game. If you're into the heavier stuff, this is definitely recommended. And that's our number 31, All Black right. Angel. And that's it, folks. We have made it through another 10. And next week, we will be back with more. And we will be back with another secret word. And we will announce on the live version of this show, which will be streamed on Twitch on May 10th, we will announce who won either a copy of Sherlock 13 from sponsor of this show, uh, Arcane Wonders, or a copy of Azul, uh, Summer Pavilion. And uh, so you can catch us live next Tuesday. But the real question, Ruel, is did they hear one of us say the secret word? The secret word, summertime. And just to remind them one more time, what do they do if they did? Okay, folks, so if you heard us uh, say summertime, type in the name of the game that we're talking about when summertime was said and send it in an email to contest at rotto.com and you'll be entered to win one of those great games. All right, yes, folks, uh, these are, are both fantastic and uh, I will see you next week, Ruel. I will see all yep. of you out there. You have any uh, closing words for the folks before we say goodbye uh, and go into I need to say the post show? Yeah, we're, we're going to the post-show, folks. So again, every Tuesday when we're uh, filming it live, you get more than just the list here. You're going to get all kinds of Q&A, some fun bits that we do. Come on and join us live on Twitch every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific. But that's it for me. I just want to let her, uh, tell everyone, may the 4th be with you. Indeed, yes. Uh, may the 4th be with you, always. And thanks for watching, everybody. Have a very, very nice day. And thank you to Arcane Wonders for supporting the show. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, bye bye